Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. Well, we have quite the weekend coming your way here on Roland Garros Relived from the Tennis Podcast because we are going back to 1999 and that is our sole concentration for the next couple of shows, starting with Steffi Graf against Martina Hingis. Tomorrow, it's going to be Andre Agassi against Andre Medvedev. Catherine, Matt, when we drew this up, these two days were pretty much at the the front of the queue weren't they i mean it was such a difficult shortlist to draw up there's some some wonderful matches and memories that didn't make the cut of 15 matches we're covering in this series but these two there was never a moment that that was not going to happen catherine yeah absolutely they're they're two matches that have I mean, people knew it was great at the time. Looking back on, you know, write-ups of of both finals and reflecting on the tournament, people knew that a special finals weekend had just played out. But even so, they've they've both taken on more significance and more intrigue as time has passed. And of course, you've also got the added story of the, the two winners ending up married after the weekend and thankfully still yes. married which is just yeah you couldn't write it i mean you could write it but you'd have to have a pretty have vivid imagination wouldn't yeah. you and uh, <laughs> and then it was real life so uh, very cool and uh, the the matches themselves the storylines they both had everything really and the one we've just witnessed between Steffi Graf and Martina Hingis we have had a whale of a time over the last couple of hours just the sounds coming out of us as we watch those two the, those two players duking it out there's just so much that goes on between Steffi Graf and Martina Hingis in the 1999 final so what else was happening in 1999. The euro was introduced in 11 countries. Bill Clinton was acquitted in his impeachment trial. And the Millennium Dome opened in London, now known as the O2 Arena. Ever been to the Millennium Dome, either of you? Well, yeah, for the tennis. Before the O2 Arena became a tennis venue. No. Well, everyone said it was rubbish, didn't they? See, I would take issue with that. (laughs) Well, here we go. (laughs) I mean, everybody did t- did say it was rubbish. You're right, um, but I, I went another day there, and I thought it was great fun. Was it not was loads of really cold? Yeah, yeah, it was really cold. <laughs> uh, although I think I don't know when I went. I think I might have gone at Easter or something, and they'd probably ironed out a few of the gremlins, and there was quite a few of those uh, early on. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it was it was immediately obvious when you walked in that this should be a sporting arena. I, I don't think it wasn't being talked about as one at the time, but it just felt like what it ended up becoming. Um, so I'm really glad that they managed to make of it what they have. Um, in the tennis world and getting into this French Open final, you've got Martina Hingis, aged 18. She was the world number one. She'd already won five Grand Slam tournaments, including the most recent one at the Australian Open. Steffi Graf was 29. Seven years had passed since her narrow defeat to Monica Seles that we were talking about a couple of days ago. She'd already won 21 Grand Slam singles titles, but was clearly nearing the end. She'd missed four Grand Slam tournaments with injury and would only play one more 
major tournament after this French Open. And Matt, on the eve of it, I mean, they'd, they'd gone very different routes to get to the final. Hingis had just been sweeping all before her. She'd had no problems at all to beat Arantxa Sanchez-Vicario in the semi-finals straight sets, whereas Graf was having to fight tooth and nail. She beat Celis in three sets. Every round she played, I think, didn't she beat Davenport in a, in a long one as well? I mean, the, the, it was a real struggle for her to get to the final. She also beat an, a young Anna Kornikova as well, who was playing pretty well at that time. And between the two of them, there was there was a bit of needle, I seem to recall. There was, yes. Just another point is that Martina Hingis beat Amelie Moresmo in round two, which was, which was a repeat of that year's Australian Open final. It, just incredible that they would then meet so early at the next slam. But um, yes, there was some needle because the backstory is that lots of people believe that Hingis's success at the slams from 97 onwards came partly or perhaps largely because Steffi Graf was less of a factor because Graf was having lots of injury trouble, I think, on her knee and her back and her wrist. She had all sorts of problems. And Hingis, therefore, had a had a route through and obviously played brilliant tennis but didn't have to go through Graf so much. And Hingis didn't really like that narrative, obviously, and she had a few swipes at Graf, actually, just before this final, she said that um, Steffi has had some results in the past, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a faster, more athletic game now. She's old. Her time is past. Oh. And, and she also said she's just a runner who never gives up. <laughs> <laughs> when, when did she say that? This was before the final. Crikey. Oh, my God. Um, and Graf was not getting involved in any of that narrative whatsoever. She says, I don't feel like I have anything to prove, which I thought was interesting to compare now to Serena. I think I could be wrong. Maybe Serena has said something like that, but it's always felt like she's always thought that she still has something to prove, even in the back end of her career, and even though she doesn't. Um and Graf said that she only entered Roland Garros really to sharpen her will for Wimbledon. Um, she wasn't in that much form, not much was expected of her on the clay, and yet she got through to the final. So yeah, that's the that's the backdrop for the final. Just just perfectly poised, I think. I think in in defence of Martina Hingis's spectacular arrogance, um, <laughs> and it is is one of the most the arrogance that she had during those two hundred and six weeks when she was world number one. Were for me, it was one of the most sort of likable brands of arrogance because there was there was sort of youthful naivety to it almost. Um, but uh, in her defence, slightly. The, uh, the NBC broadcast, which we've just watched, they were obsessed with Steffi Graf being old as well. I mean, for me, it's far more remarkable that Martina Hingis was 18 years of age and playing this match as a multi-Grand Slam champion than it was that Steffi Graf was 29 years of age and still contesting for a Grand Slam title. They they were bowled over by the fact that the ageing 29-year-old Steffi Graf was still... Uh, in Grand Slam finals. Um, and to, to be fair to that, they ran a, um, an interview clip with uh, with Graf from prior to the final. And there was a, a, a very surprising air of vulnerability about her. I mean, which I had rarely, I rarely remember seeing, you know, she, she, delivered a similar line to the one that Matt just said about how low her expectations had been for the tournament. But just in the sort of slight quiver in her voice, there just wasn't the same level of conviction. And, and that was very evident in the first set, I think. It was such a different Steffi Graf to the one we saw against Monica Selesh in 92. Just on the age point, though, it, it was a very different time. If you consider that what Hingis achieved when she won three Grand Slams in a year, is the equivalent of Coco Goff now going and winning three Grand Slams in a year. That That's the age we're talking about. Steffi Graf at 29 had already had 13, 14 years at the top level of the game, whereas now 
you'd be looking to pretty much peak around about 28, 29. I think it, there's just been that shift, really, in terms of career and career expectancy, really, of, of when you, you come into your own. But Tell that to Martina the, Hingis, David. Well, <laughs> yeah, but, but that's the thing. Back then, everybody came into their own as, as a mid-teenager or late teenager. If you think of Capriati, Celis and Hingis and Venus and Serena, this is this and Steffi herself, this is what happened back then. Coca Golf feels like such an outlier right now. That feels unusually young to be making these sort of strides. But, but you're right. I mean, and, and Graf relatively speaking, was seen as, as one of the older players. That said, that is still a spectacularly rude thing to say in a press conference ahead of playing the all-time great Steffi Graf. I mean, it's hilarious, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> and I, and I, I personally was an enormous fan of, of Martina Hingis from the way she played the game through to the way she carried herself because it was just so funny half the time. The way you laughed, Catherine, when Matt was reading that quote, that pretty much mirrors the reactions that we all had during probably half a dozen moments of the match where Hingis is... I, I, I can't really believe what I'm seeing half the time, her, the way she reacts to stuff, the sort of petulance, the, the precociousness of her, the way she walks about as if she owns the place. And, and she can't believe that my, my sense is she can't believe this old woman at the other end of the court is, is winning, <laughs> winning anything, winning any points, you know, and, and there, there are some, I mean, in the first set, she absolutely dismantles Graf. And there are points where they, they might have a, an exchange that ends on a Graf forehand winner. And whilst the ball is still flying past Hingis, Hingis is complaining and mocking herself because she's, given her a forehand to hit. She's engaged in a forehand rally, as if to say, why on earth did I just do that? I mean, of course she's going to hit a forehand winner of that. If I give her anything else, she hasn't got a chance. This is ridiculous. What am I doing? And it, it just, every single raise of the eyebrow, laugh at herself, arms in the air, it all communicates. It's so funny to watch. Yeah, she wasn't interested in giving her opponent any credit whatsoever and um she's got an just a remarkable whatever face which she, she uses a lot <laughs> exactly she, she's a brat she's an absolute she brat in that match great face i think maybe i'm i'm going to be overly sympathetic towards the behavior of martina hingis because i find it so <laughs> relatable uh the uh, the rc teenager in me was watching that going well yeah that's how I would have reacted too. Um, and, you know, I love that she lets you in on exactly how she's feeling and doesn't try to 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 mask it or filter it in, in any way, both like with her face or with her comments. You know, this is this is the the woman that was responsible for the uh, what rivalry I win all the matches <laughs> line. You know, it's just it's just great. But but I do remember I, I have the 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 dimmest of, of memories of, of watching that final or being aware of it. Certainly my parents would have been more into it than I was at the time. And I remember my mum being appalled at Martina Hingis's behaviour, appalled. I was probably sat there going, go on, Martina, do, <laughs> do it for stroppy girls everywhere. <laughs> but there's, but there's, My mum didn't like it. There's such an interesting contrast between the immaturity of her attitude and her behaviour and the maturity of her tennis, though. Because her tennis, in that first set especially, when she's at her best, is so intelligent. And she meticulously and methodically picks apart the game of Graf, honing in on the weaknesses, manoeuvring her around the court, having the sense of where the next shot's going to land and being there prepared and in time to hit it and Graf's signature shot her inside out forehand goes straight into Hingis's signature shot which is her backhand up the line and time and again she just dominated the rallies in that respect and it was her match it was on her racket that match until she let it not be with her yeah with for, the way she got bothered half, by stuff for a set and a half Hingis looked like just about the complete player mm. There was no weakness. She was able to, as you say, take on the best of Graf. Give me your best shots. It's fine. I can handle them. And I, I've always been of the view that Martina Hingis has 
the best backhand that I've ever seen in women's tennis. Um, it, it, I think she could put it anywhere on the court, anytime she wants, from anywhere, and you could bank on it. She she was getting inside out forehands smacked to her, her backhand, and she was just dismissing them as if they were nothing for clean winners. Um, but that was for a set and a set and a half, or even a set and a bit. And the the reaction that you you have there that you've you've described, Catherine, of of your your mother's really takes off early in the second set where Hingis for some reason just self-destructs because she is set up she's too love up with a break and then there is a, a close line call on a, on her forehand which she is insistent is in and she's pointing down the other end of the court to the umpire and saying go on check it it's you've got to check that mark it's in umpire refuses to to yield and Hingis walks around the other side of the net up to the mark and circles it right in Steffi Graf's face, which <laughs> you are not allowed to do. That is not in the rules. And the French crowd start booing and whistling and she becomes public enemy number one right there. And I mean, but she's, she's adamant. No, it's, I mean, I think, I think the other day you were saying, Catherine, you could really relate to this idea of, of, of frustration if the umpires are not coming down from their chair when you have evidence right in front of you that you are right and it can't be checked and that's how she looked look it's the evidence is here i'm going to show you myself and um and the reaction from chris everett and john mackinner who joined the commentary halfway through and was describing hingis as a genius that that's how he clearly was a huge fan of hers as well but chris everett i felt was a while she rated her, was was not impressed with what she was seeing behaviorally, um, and and in fact, in terms of application at times from from Hingis, and the view was you can't do that. Um, you, 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 that's going to be a point penalty, and and sure enough, she got she got a point penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct. Well, well McEnroe mentioned the D word. He's when when she's stuck, once she crossed the traversed the 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 net. Uh, to the other side, he said, "Oh, that's a default." Well, it certainly is in men's tennis. <laughs> he wasn't quite calling for it, but he was sort of. It was almost like, "Well, I would be defaulted for that, so she deserves to be." But actually, it was only. It was only. A, it was only a warning. It was the fact that she had had that echoes a little bit here of uh, the 2018 U.S. Open final, but it was actually the racket abuse a few games earlier, which at the time seemed pretty innocuous. It was actually that which which stitched her up because the the two combined offences led to the the point penalty. Yeah. yeah, and at the time the sequence was warning point penalty match, um, which McEnroe said he was acutely aware of now because <laughs> what was it uh, nine years earlier he'd been defaulted from the Australian Open when he didn't realise that it was warning point match. He thought there was a game a game penalty in, in there somewhere. Um, but it, it, it was funny how the aggro coincided with McEnroe's arrival in the commentary box. Um, Perfectly timed. And I also found it funny how Hingis, after going round to check the mark, went just refused to pile on. She sat down on her chair and wanted the referee out, presumably thinking that the referee might make her situation better but actually the referee just obviously sided with the umpire and gave her the point penalty just made it worse for her it was amazing she looked like you know i'll scream and scream and scream till i'm sick uh one of the lovely tangents as well was the referee was georgina clark who's no longer with us but is somebody that i i knew in the very early stages of my career and and actually interviewed me once for a job which i didn't get uh, but she was absolutely lovely she was so nice they, was that in the lost law years no it was it was when i was coming out of them but i wasn't i guess i just didn't quite make the grade <laughs> but uh but she georgina clark was was somebody that had everybody's respect she was always came across as fair and um and calm too and she came across very calmly in this situation she understood the emotions are running high out there and, and she just very straightforwardly delivered the news to Martina Hingis that, uh, that no, you're going to get a warning because you're not allowed to go over the other side of the net. And Hingis clearly just didn't know that rule. And if she did know that rule, 
well, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> and that's the air she carried is that she owned the place. And it you can understand why it rubbed so many people up the wrong way. She was she was laughing at her own errors and mocking these situations, including the crowd. And I sensed that she was sort of mocking the fact that, well, I should be able to beat her easily. I mean, God, is that is that I mean, she's not that good. I mean, that is the sense I was getting from the Hingis body language. But at the same time, I I don't get angry with her for it. I, I sort of I I love her for it. I think she's she's it's 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 immensely I, I see it in kids, in my own kids at times, that sort of response. And um, it's it's immaturity, perhaps, but it's very, very funny. <laughs> you experienced it dealing with irrational arsiness. <laughs> mm. And yes, entirely rational in arsiness, yeah. Yeah. But, it, but it, the thing is, a lot of the time is these reactions are both rational and irrational at the same time aren't they um you can understand the emotion of it all and, the, and there is a point that particularly thing is she's making a point and it's a fair one it's just that it's not actually correct and, and imagine the stress because in yeah. a lot of the the focus in in the commentary was on was on steffi graf and a kind of her resurgence her potential last hurrah and of course it was her last hurrah in terms of, of winning Grand Slams. But Martina Hingis was aiming to complete the career Grand Slam. And there was very little focus on that. And I suspect that's because, you know, and even in all of the post-match speeches and everything, the, the feeling was, well, if it's not this one, it will be another one. It's inevitable that she will complete the career Slam. She's too good not to. She's only 18 times on her side. So there was so little talk about it. But actually, that is just an enormous, immense thing. You know, think about the next day. Um, well, we'll be able to talk about this tomorrow, but I rather suspect when we watch the the 99 men's final with uh, Agassi and Medvedev, there will be an awful lot more talk about the completion of the career slam for, for Andre Agassi yeah. because it had been a longer time coming. It was very much not a foregone conclusion it would happen. But with... With Hingis, and we'll talk about this with more, the sort of air of air of tragedy and and pathos in all the in all of the post match commentary about how well, don't worry, Martina, you will win one. Of course, you'll win one, and of course, she didn't. She didn't win a French Open, but and in fact, she never won another Grand Slam. Never won another Grand Slam, and but. You know, just because the commentators weren't talking about it doesn't mean it wasn't the the primary thing on Martina Hingis's mind. Um, and the stress of that must have been immense. And she was only 18. 18 well, what's years interesting old. as well, she, she went on from there, all that aggro, and still broke in that second set and was serving for the match. Was it 6-4-5-4? Four, four? Mm. She served for the match? Yeah, and she got 15 love. She was three points away. Um... Yeah, she kept having these sort of crises and you're thinking, well, it's over. She's lost her, she's kind of lost her mind. But then she would recover herself, which actually made it all the more extraordinary that she didn't go on to win this match because she seemed to get over the emotional problems that she was having and recover her tennis. And then something else would happen. Um, but I think also Graf's reaction to that whole incident at the start of the second set is interesting because she did noticeably raise her game. She started punching holes, a lot more holes in Hingis's defences. And I think she said afterwards, that was the moment I knew. If she was so fixated on this one point, I knew that she wasn't sort of mentally seeing the big picture and focused. And that was one of the moments where I knew I had her. I knew I had a route back into the match. And she she upped her power noticeably in that period mm. from 5-4 down. And she, she ended up reeling three games in a row off to win that set and then won the next one. So that's four games in a row. And then there was that massive <laughs> toilet break that Hingis took <laughs> at she... one love down in the in the third set she goes off the court for what seven minutes and she comes back on <laughs> with a completely new hairstyle to boos and whistles from the French crowd it was like stars in their eyes she emerged <laughs> she emerged from the locker room looking like a different person she did <laughs> tonight I'm gonna be yeah <laughs> 
Perhaps that was her. Perhaps that was her aim. Like she needed to be a different. Yeah, to, to reinvent herself mid match. Yeah. After a game of the uh, of the third set, unfortunately, the uh, <laughs> just like on Stars in the Rise, our broadcast cut out the actual period of transformation. Um, so we were unable to see what, what, how, how Graf was dealing with that period. Cause yeah. by the time she came back out, it looked like Graf was really composed about it. And I'm thinking, Lemonek, I wouldn't be composed, but I'd be, yeah, I mean, I'd be look- losing it over this, but maybe, maybe she was while it was happening. But yeah, she came back with her hair in a completely different style, a new scrunchie, um, a new top, a completely new outfit. <laughs> Um, she looked like she'd had a shower. She looked really fresh. And then uh, she's she's booed and whistled back onto the court. She's taking her sweet time. It's not a it's <laughs> it's not a brisk walk. It's more of a sort of lollop back to the chair. And then, and then she she has to to go and serve. And instead of you know making her way uh, swiftly to the service line, she stops halfway to to put some clips in her hair. <laughs> So it's almost like as much as, you know, at the end of the match, it was very clear how how distressing it was for her that the crowd were against her. And this and McEnroe comments this at the time when she's doing the clips. It's she says he says it's like if there's it's like if there's anybody left in the crowd that hasn't turned against her yet, she's trying to make sure she turns them against her as well. It seemed at the time that she didn't give two hoots, but. You know, later it seemed that hoots were given. And she gave, it was pretty half-paced tennis. She then played. Graf was a runaway train. She did have one break back, but really Graf just accelerated away from her at that point. And Hingis was was really erratic. She started missing. She was a step slow to every ball. But the drama wasn't over yet. Because (laughs) when they got to match point, 5-2 for Graf, Hingis serving, match point down. She throws in an underarm serve, almost for an ace. A great the abs- underarm serve. It was it, Michael Chang would have been proud of that. I mean, that was arguably even better than his. It was vast, massively underspun underarm serve that just went sideways when it bounced, and uh, and one of the point, and the crowd just could not handle that. In fact, when she hit the the underarm serve while the rally was going on, they started booing. <laughs> And, and whistling and then it intensified when she won the point because they felt like she was just trolling Steffi Graf they thought she's disrespecting this great champion now we saw no reaction from Graf at that point things carry on there are, there's another match point there's another saved match point uh, Hingis has a chance then she goes match point down again and then she hits another underarm serve uh, which she she didn't win the point in and Booing starts again. Hingis goes and has it out with the umpire, I think, about a line call. And then Graf lost it. And Graf comes to the umpire's chair and says, can we just play tennis or what? I I think that what Hingis approached the umpire about was the fact that as she was going to hit the serve, they were still booing and and jeering her. They were obviously, the crowd were anticipating whether she was going to do (laughs) the underarm serve again. And she did. But I think Hingis felt that she sh- that that first serve shouldn't have counted because I mean it was it it was raucous at the moment she hit that serve. Yeah, I read it as they were kind of booing her already before she served, <laughs> yeah. and then she served an underarm serve, which was which was a really bad one, was out, and then she had the confrontation with the umpire, and she was I can't hear you, umpire, they're all booing me. Um, and she climbed the umpire's kind of chair. <laughs> I was so she holding my breath while that was happening. <laughs> and the and that's when Graf came over and started to have words with Hingis and just say, Do you, can we mm. just play or what? And this is at match point. Next point, she's won the title. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen that before where a player loses a temper with an opponent and then the next point she's celebrating having won her 22nd and final Grand Slam tournament of her career. So she erupts into celebrations. Hingis... Suddenly, the emotion of it all overwhelmed her, and the 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 intenseness of it all, and she starts to cry, and she just puts her bag on her shoulder and walks off in a huff, um, as if she's not going to take any part in the presentation. You can you can have your French Open title, Steffi. You can you can lump it, all of you. I'm off, and she just stomps off the court, 
And the next thing, they, they go for a break, and Steph is all happy, and they're setting up the massive podium that's now replaced the uh, the trophy ceremony in the crowd, which is such a shame. And then after the commercial break, Martina Hingis comes back out onto the court with her mother, her mother, Melanie Molitor, who's also her coach, who has her arm around her, and she's almost carrying her onto the court uh, who whilst Hingis is sobbing and and looking as if she can't really take this this whole situation. They then have the presentation to Steffi Graf first as the champion, which is a, a funny look to us now, isn't it? Because that doesn't happen these days. It's always the runner-up first and then the, the champion, but it was that way around. And then Hingis just still can't can't bring herself to be magnanimous about any of it <laughs> she's just she's just sort of she's just going oh. you know and every, every everything that happens is is greeted every word that graphs even when graph says you know you're going to win one of these one day she gives a sort of whatever you know, sort of look <laughs> look to it all well um, she needs something that steffi grove chris everett mary carillo that we're going to hear from that that they didn't. They were all saying, "You're going to win one of these." Don't. I think Steffi actually said, "Don't worry about it." Mm. While and the cameraman's doing a great job at this point because <laughs> they're both in shot. Steffi sort of slightly obscuring the 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 crippled face of Martina Hingis, and she just does this eye, this this not quite an eye roll, but just enough of a of a face when uh, when Steffi Graf says that and and actually when when Steffi's given the microphone she goes to to try and hand it over to to Hingis to speak first and Hingis doesn't even verbally reply she just does a sort of hand gesture and a face which says absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> Although and, apparently she does speak. We didn't see that on the broadcast, oh. but she does she does say a few words in French, apparently, to try and get the crowd back on side a little bit. And I think it I think it sort of works, but then in her post match um press conference or interview or something, she seems to make it worse again by saying that the French crowd didn't understand my tennis because I make it look easy. <laughs> <laughs> and oh as much God. as as much as I do think she brought a lot of it on herself, I did feel slightly sorry for her, particularly when you contrast the reaction to the underarm serve that Michael Chang got. Like they went wild for that serve, yeah. and they booed Martina Hingis doing it. They, they didn't seem to be. It didn't seem quite fair. I didn't think. I think it was, perhaps it was the fact that it was on match point. Um, and and Steffi Graf. In her speech, I mean, she was on cloud nine. She described it as uh, the most emotional, the, the best moment she'd had on 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 a court, on a tennis court. Uh, she she poked the bear that was the Parisian crowd a bit, doesn't didn't she? You know, the first thing she did was thank them for their. Um, ferocious support, she said, I feel French today. <laughs> And and they were supporting her, but obviously the elephant in the in the stadium at that point was that it was also anti Hingis sentiment. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Hingis does make the game look easy. I I think she's one of the most talented players I've ever seen, really. And and I I mean, we'll we'll do it. We're going to do a separate show on her um, at Wimbledon, and we'll we'll get more into what happened to her thereafter. Because I, th when you watch her play like she did for a set and a half, it's it's as good as tennis gets, really. Um, I, I always remember when. Um, when she was world number one and um, and I, I was working at the ATP and I proposed to the WTA that we do a photo shoot with her and Roger Federer and they turned me down. They said, she's the world number one. I mean, Roger Federer was this young upstart <laughs> at the time. Um, but but Hingis was, was just a joy to watch, but she rubbed people up the wrong way and she did not seem aware of that really or aware of why it happened and and also didn't care so, um so no it was very very entertaining to watch that um for graph 
though it was yeah she was nearing the end of her career i we 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 spoke for this uh this series of shows with heinz guntart her coach who you may remember we heard from a couple of days ago who was there right at the start of his time with her was that 1992 final that graf had against um monica Seles, and here he was seven years on and he said he felt in the final that if graf could get into the third set her superior fitness would tell and although Hingis was dismantling his player by a set and a break, he thought that Hingis's histrionics, particularly going around the other side of the net, would work against her. I felt at the time, ooh, you know, when you do that, it's, it's almost like a show of force. If you're a teenager, to show like, I can do anything I like here, I go on the other side and blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, mm, but you're doing it against the wrong player because this is not going to intimidate her. It's going to do the opposite. It's almost like, oh, you need this so badly? Maybe you're not so certain after all. You know, that kind of thing. And I I can't say if that was a turning point, but it was certainly something I felt that helped Steffi because that also kind of woke up the crowd at the time. And I felt like if here or there, she can just win off some of those points, cut, cut out some of those easy errors in important moments, this match could turn. In the third, physically, um, Steffi was too strong for Martina. So as this is slipping away, and Martina felt like, you know, I, this is my title. I should have won this an hour ago, and now this is happening. Not only are you losing, the whole stadium wants you to lose. I mean, that must have been an extremely difficult situation to handle for a teenager, and she couldn't. Once... Um, Steffi had won that title. That was her final Grand Slam title, 22nd singles slam. 12th with you, where do you feel that ranked for her and for you versus all the others? It was very, very emotional, I have to say, because there is such a difficult time prior to that because of all the injuries. It was completely unclear if she was going to be able to play again. And once she started playing, it wasn't like she was 100%, not even close. So we didn't know how long she was going to be able to play either. So the combination of not even knowing if you're going to be there, then able to win, not knowing if it's the last time you're there, it certainly adds to something. And it, it makes the title even more special. I think every single one was special, but that one kind of stands out because it could have been the last hooray, and it turned out it was. She went on to Wimbledon, and she reached the final. She beat Venus Williams. She beat Kim Clijsters, a young Kim Clijsters, and lost eventually to Lindsay Davenport in the final. Um, And as you say, people perhaps don't know where she finished her career. Well, it was it was just a few weeks later in Carlsbad. And it was first round against Amy Frazier, third set, retired at 1-2. What are your memories of that? I mean, was, that, was it immediate? Was it clear that this is the end? It was. Because, as I mentioned to you, it wasn't like she was 100% or close to it. Neither at the French nor at Wimbledon. Um, you know, things were breaking down here and there, you know, knee, back, all kinds of things. So daily practice was very, very difficult to find the right amount, you know, how much are you supposed to hit balls? I remember going out for a jog and suddenly we had to stop because her back was hurting, that kind of thing. When I arrived there in the first practice session, that wasn't her. There was absolutely no joy hitting balls. I mean, if it was like, okay, we had to be out there and we're going to play in, in a couple of days' time, but that practice had nothing to do with any practice session we had prior to that. So I felt like there wasn't the energy there used to be. And she was basically asking herself, what am I doing here? So I was not surprised at all when she walked off the court injured again, saying, I think I had it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. It's amazing... To, to hear it from, from the horse's mouth, isn't it, really? From from somebody who was there at the time, at the end of a player's career. And I find it so interesting. We were watching and talking about Michael Chang the other day, and I was telling you about probably a three-year period at the end of his career when really it felt like he should have stopped a long time before he did. In terms of how, how I viewed it from the outside, now it's, up, it's always up to the individual. As Hines said there, you've got to, you've got to make your own mind up. Michael Chang was, was winning a handful of matches and losing dozens in a year at the end of his career. Here's Steffi Graf, whose final three tournaments, one French Open, final Wimbledon, first round retired. Those are the three tournaments she played right at the end. It, it, it's, uh, there are not many like that. I mean, people always point to Pete Sampras going out on the top and winning the US Open and then retiring. But actually, he had, I think, nine months of just trying to play again, trying to train again, but just suddenly finding he'd got no motivation left and, he, and it just wasn't there anymore for him. So it, it, he, he ummed and ahed for a long time. With with Graf, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it kind of goes that she was that decisive about it in the end. Um, but it's it does hit you, doesn't it, when we consider what we've just witnessed, that incredible high, that incredible achievement, and then actually... I've got nothing left. Yeah, I mean, in- incredibly um, powerful stuff from uh, from Heinz Guntart there. I found that I was hanging on every word. Um, yeah, what a shame. What a shame Steffi Graf wasn't able to retire with a mixed doubles Wimbledon title alongside John McEnroe. <laughs> that could have been her last hurrah. Not a first round in Carlsbad. Yes, because McEnroe halfway through the commentary of the match that we've just watched comes into the commentary box and says she's agreed she's going to play mixed doubles with me at Wimbledon in a couple of weeks time and of course that's that's what happened as well as playing the singles and reaching the final and losing to, to Lindsay Davenport she joined forces with John McEnroe who'd retired seven years earlier as a, as a singles player but was very active on the Champions Tour that's when I was traveling around with that tour and he was playing incredibly good tennis back then, particularly for a guy of his age. And he was so pumped to be playing with <laughs> Steffi Graf. I, he was like a little boy who'd just been told that he could go in a, a, a sweet shop and have whatever he wants for the rest of the day. And he was just just fired up and they they were a good doubles partnership and they beat um they beat Justin Gilmore and Venus Williams. They beat other good partnerships and they were on their way. And then she made it into the final and she physically decided she couldn't do both and pulled out of that mixed doubles with John McEnroe. And he has never forgiven her. I don't think he's even forgiven her now for that. He, he, it hurt him. It cut him so deep 
that uh, that that she she pulled out of that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds funny, doesn't it? Really, but but he was he was so upset. Well, that's oh, one of my dear. favourite stories. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Wonder, I wonder if she regrets that now. Don't know. Uh, I wouldn't Lo- have thought I'd love so. to know. No. I wouldn't have thought so, really. I think she she knew her own mind. I mean, I, I'm I understand from his position, but I also understand it from her position. Um, but uh, but I think he he felt that she'd committed to him, and she'd agreed that she would play no matter what. I think he he felt that she was going back on what they'd agreed. Um, but uh, you know, may, may, maybe he's not so bothered now. But you know what? You know what John, John is like. He's so <laughs> intense. He's so de- determined, and uh, and uh, yeah, he wanted to win again. He had another chance. Maybe that's why she's not a not a presence in in tennis anymore. She's afraid of bumping into John McEnroe. <laughs> quite interesting a few years later when because Andre Agassi obviously had a number of really good years that followed won multiple Grand Slam titles whilst Steffi Graf had retired by then and when she would come back to the circuit the you could see this serenity that had come over her having made that decision having no longer got to think about competing and the, the the stress you see this from time to time don't you when somebody comes back when they've retired at the right time and that they're ready for it in their lives. And she, she, be, she and Andre got married, and she had other interests, and sort of worked incredibly hard together on their on their schools that they've they've put together in in Las Vegas. And she became a mother fairly soon afterwards to to Jaden and Jazz. And uh, and I remember watching them on on when we were in the commentary box up high in the Australian Open on on the Melbourne Arena. I remember her her coming out to the practice court while he was hitting and and just playing tennis with with the little lad when he was just a toddler, um Jaden Gill. And she just looked so relaxed and you, and relaxed is not something that you could really Describe Steffi Graf as during her career, as I recall it, and and from all the the versions of events that I've heard from people that knew her over the years. Um, but it was the right time for her to retire. But I think you also see the opposite sometimes. I think retiring because you've lost motivation or you just you just doesn't feel right anymore to keep going is actually a really difficult thing to get right. We see a lot of players retire and then come back because they can't feel that hole in their life or they're not ready for their second phase of their life Pingus. exactly um so i it's you know it's it's great for steffi graf that she did manage to call it at exactly the right time and she's um she's cultivated a potential uh major league baseball player yeah jaden gill is uh is, is quite a baseball player not yeah. not sure uh uh, cultivated was the right uh, <laughs> was the right verb there. Is that a verb one uses for child rearing? No. <laughs> well, we know what you mean, Catherine. It's all right. Uh, let's get a final word about Martina Hingis as well. As I said, we'll we'll go deep into her career in the show that we do during Wimbledon. Um, but we can't finish this without a word from Mary Carrillo, who covered Hingis's career throughout. Let's hear what she thought of her. I really enjoyed watching her. The eye of the tiger, as Nick Politeri would say. <laughs> the nose of the elephant. I mean, that kid was such a, she was, she had so much variety. And she knew just when to use it. And she wasn't, she was pretty slight compared. That's what ended up happening, by the way, to my mind, when I keep talking about the mental strength of the strength of the greats. Then it became, the game became very physical. And Hingis you know, I think uh, the blunt force trauma of so many players who were able to hit through her is what got her away. But back then when she was just a kid and she had, she was so clever and she managed the court so well, there was no real place to attack her because she knew how to make the most of her strokes and her, and her mind. I mean, her, she had a, a beautiful mind for the game. Oh, I love watching Hingis play. It didn't surprise me. I mean, the one that got away for her, obviously, is against Groff at the French in 99. And that was kind of remarkable to see her not figure out a way to win that one. And what's interesting about that one, okay, it's 16 at Wimbledon. She doesn't have a lot of pressure. Then she wins herself the U.S. Open. She shows what she can do in Australia. But the French, that she never won the French? 
I mean, which is the, the again, the service she grew up on. And when Grop beats her and says, I, I'll never play this again, like Grop already knew where that was in her lineup, you know. But Hingis, she's, I still felt like, well, Hingis is going to win. She'll win a French. Yeah, and she didn't. She didn't. And I, I think Mary says what we were all thinking. The, the, and Steffi Graf said it to her face in front of 17,000 people. You'll win one of these. And she didn't. Um, amazing, really. She didn't win another slam. Which is, yeah. and I know that the, the the narrative is, and, and Mary alluded to it there, that that the power game came along and it it, it squeezed Martina Hingis out. You know the Davenports that, of course, most um, most notably the Williams sisters. But actually, she had she had punched her way through Steffi Graf, who okay, she wasn't the Williams sisters, but she was a power player. You know that was she was. In the end, as you say, she injected, started injecting more pace on the ball in that second set. Steffi Groff found a way to to make her ball striking, her power play tell in that match. So I think it's a, a sort of slightly reductive narrative to say that sort of Martina Hingis's game just kind of faded into into sort of feebleness um, with the wave of of power tennis. I mean, obviously that is true to a certain degree, but she was doing it against big hitters as well. She, she, at her peak, she was. Mm. Um, More was going on there. And of course the year before, this isn't talked about enough, the year before at the French when she lost, I think in the semis, she was going for the, the four slams in a row. She was going for the, the Hingis slam, the, whatever we call it. What do we call it? The, the, the Djokovic slam, the Serena slam. <laughs> Serena slam, yeah. So there we are. Um, Martina Hingis uh, will have a full show on her during Wimbledon. Steffi Graf, we've had two wonderful conversations about her. And uh, tomorrow we'll be talking about Andre Agassi as he tried to complete the career Grand Slam up against Andre Medvedev. That incredible year, 1999. More of that coming your way. Matt, I I will be expecting stats on how often two players with the same name have faced one another. <laughs> no it's, pressure. It's, it's not quite the same name, though, is it? Yeah. It sounds the same. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure you can have that, Catherine. Uh, uh, but anyway, we'll we'll have a look on stats on that. No, no problem. We've got the, the right man for the job. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll be back with another one tomorrow. I hope you're enjoying these uh, editions of Tennis Relived from the French Open. We'll have uh, many more of them coming your way over week two of what should have been Roland Garros. But uh, we're going back in time once again to 1999 tomorrow. Uh, do tell your friends if you're enjoying this. Thanks for your company today. And we'll see you tomorrow. 